<laughs> well, good morning. We are so glad you're here today, wherever you're joining us from. And uh, I'm excited about today's sermon and what God's already doing here and what he's going to do with the next little bit. So good to see so many of you. Um, have you ever met someone and they say their name? And by the end of the sentence, you've forgotten their name? And have you ever been like, I'm sorry, what was your name again? And they tell you, and then but you walk away and you go, what was their name? I mean, have we, have we ever, yeah, anybody, just me? And then, and then it goes on for like a year, a couple weeks, you know, and then a year, and then it's a decade, and then you're living with them and you have no idea, like, what? no, I'm kidding, not my wife. No, but, um, but you know, it goes on for, for weeks, and then it's months, and then, you know, you give them a nickname, they man, they, they, that pastor calls me sport or champ. Like, I have no idea. No, you know, it doesn't matter how many times we hear some things, we have a tendency as humans to forget we forget things. And today in John 14, Jesus is going to say something over and over and over and over. Five times. And then in John 14, just in one chapter as he's talking to disciples, he goes, he's going to say something else. Six times over and over and over. So in one chapter, and remember, this is Jesus' final hours before he's arrested. Soon after this discussion, he's going to be handed over to the religious elites and then the Romans. This is his last discussion with the 12 people who he's traveled with, done miracles with, who he's talked with, who he's cried with, who he's laughed with. He spent every minute with them. And he's getting it all. He wants to tell them this one, these one few last things. And in John 14, I finally just printed it out and read it over and over. And I saw he says two things over and over and over. And the way he weaves it together blew my mind. So I am praying that this is something that for each of us, whether you are seeking God and wondering what it's all about, or you are a seasoned veteran of church world, that this is something that the Spirit of God is going to show you something new. Because Jesus did not want his disciples to miss this. He did not want them to forget this. In Orchard, we forget. This, when I went through this, I was like, I've done this too. Let me start off by telling you about the Christian life and how we often view it. You know, before someone comes to Jesus, they have, they're born into sin. And not only that, but, but within, so here we go, we have sin, and then we have you, and then inside of you is this sin nature. I mean, this is the selfishness. And if you've ever met a little two-year-old, you know that, yes, it's in there. Um, firmly. Um, so we have you with the sin nature inside, in sin. And this is the condition of humanity. And this is why we all need Jesus to come and do a work in us. Everybody needs saving. Everyone has this in us. And so at some point, let's say it's a camp and you, you're, you're, your camp is a kid or maybe it's older, whatever it is, you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get saved. And so what do we, what do we say in America? We ask Jesus into our, we ask Jesus into our heart. That's what we call it. And so some, somewhere along the way, we, we pray, we say a prayer, and, and, and guess what Jesus does? He, he removes this sin nature. And then he lives in our heart. So we have Jesus. And where is Jesus? Get rid of that. Sin nature is gone. We have Jesus in our heart. But guess what, Orchard? What do we still deal with? 
I mean, Jesus is in my heart, but I'm just still, I still got this sin. And in fact, we have things we say about this. I'm just a lowly sinner, safe but grace. Emphasis on the lowly sinner. This right here, sin, you, Jesus in my heart, this is how most, I believe, Western Christianity views the Christian life. This is it. And we, here's what we hope, that, that someday, someday, I, I will live like this, and I'll struggle, and I'll fight, and I'll battle. In fact, you know, I might read a, I might read a self-help book that, that helps me realize that I'm not, maybe like, I, I don't need to define myself by that, but I'm still in it. Or, you know, I go see a counselor. It gives me the third-party perspective. And, and I learned that, you know, I, need, I really need to think positively from this book and, and think I'm defined by Jesus. And, and you know what? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And, and people like me. And you can see yourself in there through your sin, right? And you go out throughout your world, and you got this selfishness around you. And you, But here's the problem. You just, when you, you got Jesus in you, right? Remember? Yeah. But, but you feel guilty. And I would say that's a a lot of the the, the predominant emotion of of Western Christianity is is some guilt. I have Jesus in my heart, living in sin, but someday I'm going to go to heaven. And Jesus, he is going to take me out. And then really cool things happen because I'm done with the sin. But let's just call it what it is. For now, this is life. And this is Christianity. Jesus in my heart, still in my sin, struggling with it. And Jesus, in John 14, wants to tell you that that is an absolute lie. That this right here that dominates Western Christianity keeps us muted in our faith, keeps us shy about, about our beliefs, keeps us from standing up and speaking out because, yes, we have Jesus in us, but we have this sin. And we take, it, we, we take this paradigm to work with us. And, and people, what do they experience? They see me. You can see you in there. And if you look really hard, you can see Jesus, right? But what do people around us experience? Like our impatience and, you know, I, I, got up, I blew up on this person. I'm just, oh, man, I'm just a sinner. Saved by grace, though. I got Jesus in my heart. And, and, and John says, for John 14, Jesus says, this is not true. The way that we view our lives and ourself and our position and our identity in Jesus, if this is it, this right here is called the religion of sin management. Because I'm simply managing my sin until someday when he takes me away from it. And Jesus does not want us to practice the religion of sin management. So in John 14, he begins to teach on some things. And he says something over and over. I'm just going to tell you a few of them, okay? This is the first theme he hits on in verse 10. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. He's talking positionally, and, and he's a human and God, and he's about the Father, and he's, he's making these things. I mean, he's, he, Jesus, divinely, fully human, fully God, saying, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. And then he says in verse 11, the next one, believe me when I say, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. If we have two verses, he said the same thing. Why does he keep repeating these things? He's talking about positions and identities. And then in verse 20, he says something even farther. On that day, you'll realize that I am in the Father. And you, where are you? In me. And I am in you. So, let's look at a new paradigm. 
what John 14 is saying is we have Jesus. Got some work to do back here. Thanks to Lori for going to Target and Walmart and all over the world. We, so, so when we have, here, here's you, right? There's you. And Jesus takes your sin nature away. He puts himself inside of you. But we're not, Jesus in, in John 14 is saying, but, but that's not the reality because, because you are in me so, and I am in you. But that would mean, that would mean that, that this looks more, that Jesus is in me. But then it says there, yeah, in verse 20, that I am in Jesus. Hmm. Now that's strange. Because that looks nothing like that over there, does it? And the reality is it feels nothing like that. He says this, 23. My father will love them, that's you. He will come to them and make our home in them. So there's more, there's more of these positions. I did. But, but let's go back up to 10 and 11. He says, I am in the father and the father's in me. So if Jesus is in the father, I'm in Jesus, Jesus is in me. That means that... Gabe, can you put up uh, Colossians 3, 2, real quick? Colossians 3, get down to it. It says this, for you have died and your life is now hidden. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So all the, already we're working with two separate realities, identities, and positions. And scrolling back up, because I changed all of this this morning, he goes even further in John 14, and he says this in verse 17. The Spirit lives with you and will be in you. So now we have this power source of, so we have God, okay. We got God. We have G, Jesus is in God. I'm in Jesus and in God. Jesus is in me. And then, then there's this, this Holy Spirit power, that uh, this divine power of the Spirit that is also within me to resource me, to guide me. It says he guides me in truth, and he's my advocate, and he, he gives me wisdom. So here we go. The Spirit in me, Jesus in me, me and Jesus. All of us in God. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, this right here is what Jesus repeatedly in John 14 and throughout the New Testament, they continue to write about this reality. Yet somehow, over time, we have come to believe and experience this. That Jesus is in my heart. I'm in sin. And someday, going to heaven, and I get to leave this. Now, do both these people sin? Yes, what they do with that is completely different. The difference between these two paradigms is, is, is amazing. This illustration comes from one of my favorite preachers. When I was in my 20s, I used to go listen to him every single week in Atlanta. His name's Louis Giglio. He first did this. I never forgot it. And so I wanted to use Louis' um, example today, although he didn't put the spirit in there. So Louis, when you see this, just know you missed a step. Um, It is amazing to me the difference between these two lives. 
And what they experience is different. We, we accept Jesus into our heart. We wait to get out of sin. But Jesus says, you are in me and I am in you. And he continues through this amazing thing. Now, here's the other thing. When we view this right here, we had the sin in us. We have the sin around us. But he saves us. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The old has gone and the new is here. So here's the challenge today, is to know that you have an internal paradigm and you have an internal reality that you deal with and you operate from and you feel and you pray from and you, and you, and you read God's word from and you deal with your sin from and whatever one you experience is gonna change how you operate in your life. So the challenge today is, will you take Jesus at his word? Not mine. Will you take Jesus at his word? Because he says the old has gone and there's a new creation and the spirit is within you and Jesus is within you, but you are in Jesus and you are sealed in God and you can't sin your way out of here. And he wants to make this point really clear because it connects to the next one. This paradigm is something all throughout the, the New Testament and yet somehow we forgot it. Somehow we've slipped into this paradigm. The saddest thing is when a person is saved and sealed, but somehow they, because of their sin, they believe that they're just a sinner who will someday go to heaven. But Orchard, I just want to say some things to you. That's, that's not true. God knows your name. Jesus knows your name. God created you. Jesus was sent for you. Jesus was tortured for you. Jesus died for you. He resurrected for you. He sent his spirit for you. He gave you a calling. He gave you a purpose. He gave you a destiny. He put talents in you. He put gifts in you. He put you on this earth so you could take this paradigm and go to work. And guess what? When people experience this person, what do they experience? Now you're in there, but what do they experience? This person is living with the gifting and talenting and the resourcing of the Holy Spirit and Jesus and they're going out and people are experiencing God's kingdom. This person goes to work and they don't even want to talk about Jesus because they feel like their life is dominated by sin. And they're so ashamed. And, and how can I even open up to my coworker because of all this stuff. And yeah, you can, see G, you can see Jesus through there and you can kind of see yourself in there. But it takes a pretty big moment, like some kind of uh, fireplace conversation. Or they ask you about church and you finally open up. Because you got to work through all this guilt and shame of the religion of sin management until heaven. Instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which doesn't say, wait till heaven. It says, right now, you're empowered to go forth, love God, and love people, and change the earth. So if nothing else, if whatever I say, remember this. And ask yourself, which one? What's my dominating reality? Is, is it guilt and shame and, oh, I keep trying harder because I have all this? Or is it... Grace, love, freedom, power, purpose, calling. Which, one, which side do you find yourself? Jesus repeated himself over and over on this topic, and then the Spirit of God moved the, the prophets and writers of the New Testament to repeat this over and over because he knew we'd forget, and we want to slide back over here and just manage our sin. This is the foundation for the next thing he's about to talk about in John. If we don't get this, then the next part 
doesn't make sense. If we don't get this from John 14, then the next theme of John 14 will feel forced and hollow and it'll be obligation and duty. So the other theme is, has something to do with, with obedience. John 14 is about identity and obedience. And the way they go together is simply shocking. He wants us to look at obedience in a completely different way. And he talks about it six times in one chapter. He's going to start talking about the works that he has for us to do. And the works that he described, this person over here goes, oh, yeah, right. This person over here goes, oh, yes. So let's read what Jesus says about this. Verse 12, it starts. Jesus says, I tell, the, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. That's obedience. And that, he says this, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. If I believe in Jesus, I should be doing some of the same works that he has done. I should be behaving more like he behaved. I should be speaking more like he spoke. I should be loving more like he loved. If I believe in Jesus, then, then from within me, I should, my behaviors should be changing to my beliefs. Hmm. So already we see that if we, if, if we live out the true reality of Jesus in us, if we live out the true reality of Jesus in us, there should be works, deeds, and, these, and, and things coming flowing out of our life, not forced out, flowing out of our life that look like Jesus. But then he says something that is astounding. In verse 15 he says, If you love me, keep my commands. We, it's hard to explain how shocking this is. Throughout ancient time, humanity didn't obey gods because they loved them. And even now, they obeyed a god because they wanted to get something from the god, the fertility god, the, the crops god, whatever it is, or because they wanted um, the god not to punish them. The Greek god Zeus. People didn't love Zeus. They didn't go, oh, out of my affection for Zeus, I'm going to do Zeusy things. No, Zeus, like he strike, you know, like they feared Zeus. They didn't obey him because they loved him. They feared him. The Egyptian god Ra was not obeyed out of affection, but of fear and protection. The Roman god Jupiter and Mars, read about those. They're not sitting there just, oh, this, this, is, such, this is such a good relationship. No. In fact, the Roman agricultural goddess Ceres, you obeyed her, you sacrificed to her because you wanted to get good crops from her. It's, it's, it's an exchange. There's an exchange of I do things for you and I get things from you. And one of those is protection, but also you don't punish me. Jesus says, obey me because you love me. If you love me, obey my commands. Even in major religions today, as I look through them and search through them, it's not obedience out of desire, of affection. It is obedience to, to, to get something or to avoid something. But Jesus here, it shockingly asks us to obey him out of love. He keeps repeating it over and over. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. For the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show, them my, my, show myself to them. Again in verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make them, our, we'll make our home in them. I mean, he just, he's, he, he just keeps saying it. And then in verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey me. Verse 16, he talks about how he will help empower you to obey. I will ask the Father, and he will give the spirit of God, the spirit of truth to help you. 
to guide you, to, to empower you in there. Over and over and over, he continues in this. He says, this is who you are, and if this is who you are, then out of your love for me, do what I ask. Obedience and love. And the religion of sin management, of just, just a sinner with Jesus in my heart. I'm in sin, and therefore, I, my obedience, it, I, it hinges on how much power I have over my sin. Willpower, grit, and just holding out and not doing things. And this half gospel, this, this half religion, this over here, we don't, we don't do what God asks out of love. We do it out of legalism. Legalism is religious duty, D-U-T-Y, although they both apply. Legalism is religious duty. Legalism is forced compliance to religious laws for the sake of compliance. Legalism is not motivated by love. In fact, a proclaimed Christian living in legalism looks more like somebody obeying a god or goddess of agriculture, hoping to get protection from, from, from my kids or to get help with my company. I know Christians. I have talked to people, and they have flat out said, they go to church, and they pray, they give money, and they do religious activities. And, and the number one thing I hear is, so that God will protect my children. That's an exchange. That's, 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 not, that's not obedience out of love. That's obedience out of fear that something's going to happen to my kids or my company. Or I obey because I grew up in this church environment where, man, if you step out of line, there's a, you're getting smited. We don't use the word smited enough these days. But, but see... We, we have this over here, this religion of sin management. Oftentimes, it's doing religious activity, not motivated by love, but to get something out of God in exchange or that he would not punish us. And there's, there's shame there. We want God to bless us. Legalism is a cancer in Christianity that turns following Jesus from a relationship to a religion. Legalism keeps commands without love. Love keeps commands without legalism. Legalism follows the rules out of duty, but love follows the rules out of devotion. Legalism follows rules to get love from God, to feel approved. Love follows rules to give love to God out of the approval he's already given us. Legalistic rule following is forced religious obligation while love rule following flows from an authentic affection. Legalism is an ought to. Love is an I want to. Legalism is a chore, while obedience out of love is a joyful challenge. I'm not saying it's easy. Legalism reveals religion, while love reveals the relationship. Legalism is a burden of rules that you carry, while love is a buoy that carries you to obedience. Legalism is driven by the guilt of this sin, while love is fueled by the joy that's within. Legalism is shame-based. When I fail, I'm ashamed, I'm guilty, I'm bad. Obedience out of love is grace-based. When I fail, I'm forgiven. I can't send my way out of this environment. Jesus, the Spirit in me, me and Jesus, sealed in God by the Holy Spirit. 
So we have religion pushes you to duty while following Jesus fuels you for more devotion. We have duty and devotion. We have legalism and love. And so the question we have to ask here to help diagnose ourselves is which are the dominating emotions that you feel? Obligation and duty? Guilt and shame? Or joy? Obedience out of love because he's done so much for me. You know, one of, the, one of the things that I say personally I have dealt with most in my Christian walk is I read this book and I listen to preachers and I go, where is this and where are some of these things in my life? You ever thought that? Like, man, where, where is some, and, and, they're, and they're struggling too and, and they're going through their stuff, but like where is, it seems cumbersome at times. It seems powerless at times. And I just want to tell you that if, if a Christian walk says it's, like just, it's herky-jerky, it's cumbersome, it doesn't seem to work, it's, it's, it's weak, it's not the powers on, it, it could be an indication that you're living in a paradigm of this. The, you're living in the religion of sin management. You're simply managing your sin until God somebody, someday takes it away. But there is a way to live. It is infused I love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we will do God's works. And we'll do good works greater than he did. And you go out through life, and, and now, now, now you're, not, you're not trying to force a conversation with a coworker because, over here, but no, no, no. But be, out of your great love for Jesus, and he has asked you, and he's put them on your heart, you are having conversations. And they're experiencing not just you, not just yours. They're experiencing God. They're experiencing God's kingdom. They're experiencing Jesus by how you behave and by how you act. So what is it that fuels your obedience? That's an important question to ask. What is the dominating emotion of your Christian walk? Guilt and shame or freedom and love? Is obedience to God something that flows out of a love naturally and devotion? Or is it something you're forcing out of religious duty? Because one of those is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe there's a reason Jesus wove the identity and the obedience throughout in John 14. Because they have to go together. If, if he had left that out and says, you know, if you love me, obey my commands. Oh, now I'm feeling bad because I feel like I don't love him. I don't love him enough to do it. And here's the, here's the key. This is why it's important to have this reality over here. And if you're listening on podcast, it's not going to make much sense. So go, go watch on YouTube. If you're, watch, if, if, if you're, if you're living in this reality... The environment inside here is love, not guilt and shame. Oxi uh, I'm sorry, love is the oxygen of heaven. It's what we breathe in there. The Bible says that God is love, and we are in God. We're in Jesus, and Jesus is within us, and the Spirit is within us. When you become legalistic, when you live over here in this religious uh, uh, sin management um, and doing everything out of obligation and duty, not by love, then guess what? Do you know how you st stop sinning? You just hold your breath, and you grit your teeth, and you try to hold out from sinning as long as you can. <sighs> and you know what? Here's the truth. We know this. We've, we know this. We all have done this or are doing this. You can hold out for a while. And the cycle starts over. Oh, you sin. Oh, man. Well, at least someday I'll get it taken away. Again, both sides struggle with sin. They deal with it differently. One knows that Jesus has dealt with it, and they look at it differently. But, but over here, this person is straining, holding their breath, using their will just to, just to try. And there's this, there's this thing called hypoxemia. It's, 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 the, it's when the body has lack of oxygen. 
And for many of us, the reason our Christian walk is so anemic and so weak is because we're suffering from the very oxygen of heaven that he told us to breathe. We're not obeying out of love. We're obeying out of some kind of guilt, shame, duty, just gritting our teeth. Don't sin. Don't do it. Oh, there I go again. I better go to church. And haven't we got a reputation that after people say, like, why would I go to church and, and pay someone to make me feel bad? I already feel bad enough. Yeah, because we're preaching this and we're living this. Oh, you see, we were meant to breathe the love of God and obey within this environment of love, within this environment of love, fueled by Jesus and the Holy Spirit, in Christ, in God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, in the places you're dealing with sin. Breathe deeply the love of God. Remind yourself all the great things that, that he has done for you and how loving he has been for you, that he died for you, that he gave his life for you. And out of that love and gratitude, move forward obeying in love. In the places where you're insecure, dealing with the, the shame, breathe deeply of the love of God. And move forward knowing that he has declared you worthy and forgiven and this does not define you. It does if you believe this paradigm, but we are not supposed to live this way. This defines you. He defines you as his beloved daughter, as his beloved son, who's been forgiven, who had all their, their, their sins nailed to a cross, and you should walk in freedom and power and purpose. Romans 8.1, for those of who, who feel like, you know, I just feel so much shame and, and guilt. It says, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's you. If you're a Jesus follower, you're in Jesus. He's in you. Your spirit's in you. And then you are sealed in God. There's no condemnation for you. Did you, did, you, did you do something? Did you sin? Yes, there's conviction that says come back to God, come back to his ways, and out of love be motivated to, to, to obey. But, but not condemnation. Oh, you, how could you do that? You ever sat in church and thought, if people in here only know what I did? You ever thought that? When I was a preacher's kid, I was sitting there in the front row, and I was like, I wonder if God would like ever just show people what I did. <laughs> so terrified, you know? Because we come here in this place, we're talking about sin and godliness and holiness, and, 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 and we begin to define ourselves. I have struggled with this for so long. Just managing my sin, feeling defeated, trying hard again, and hoping someday, looking forward to the day I go to heaven and God takes it away. Because there is, the person who believes that they're in sin, condemnation, Shame and guilt will be the dominating emotions that this person has. While the person who, who, who believer who knows that they are in Christ and they are indwelled by him, even though they sin, they know that Jesus took those sins. There is grace available. So which emotion? Just looking up here right now, whether you're on video, right here, whether you're on video or whether you're sitting here, which emotion do you most feel in your spiritual walk? Do you find yourself mostly just managing your sin and obeying God out of ought-tos and shoulds? Or do you find yourself with the freedom, walking in freedom from the, the sins you commit because there's grace, having a purpose, walking in it, and out of your deep love, saying yes to the things he's asking you to say yes to, and saying no to the things that he's asking you to say no to out of love. 
Many of us might be living in this reality if we're really honest with ourselves over here. And there's nothing biblical about it. Just a lowly sinner saved by grace, barely scraping by. You are a saint, blood-bought, purchased, ransomed, rescued, indwelled, called, gifted, and sent forth to make a difference. I like that a lot better. Christian, this is who you are. And this is whose you are. This is how you're defined. This is a lie from hell to get us living in a religion of duty and sin management. And it takes all the joy out of it. And these churches aren't, aren't this, this church, I, I mean, these, the, the people of these churches, this, is, this isn't joyful. I don't want to go to, I don't want to go follow this person to church and feel like this. And unfortunately, I've lived this reality a lot. So we need to ask the questions, am I obeying God because I want my family protected? Do I have these like deep-seated deals with God that I think that I have, bargains, that I do these things and God, you, you do those things? Or do we do things out of love? Because the truth is, is that how, how, do we, how do we know the motivation by love? Well, we go into communion. You're going to hold the very elements of love. That Jesus Christ was sent to earth by God, who is love, to embody love. We've already in this series seen the way he loved, the un, people who thought they were unlovable, the way he moved, the way he spoke. Jesus then, he, he had these 12 disciples and these other people around him for three years, and he, he's up in this upper room teaching, but he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. He could have stopped it at any time. He gets nailed to a cross. He's suffering. He dies. He resurrects out of love. Because he loved us so much, oh, I want to obey you. I want to say yes to your ways. And I want to say no to the things you asked me to say no to. You know, Amy and I love each other deeply. I've never known a woman of such fierce love and strong character. But we are absolutely opposite in every way. Do you know there's five love languages? Some of you are nodding. If you've never heard of this and you're ever interested in being in a relationship or you find yourself in one right now, after this and after this, God changes your life with this teaching, go buy the book, The Five Love Languages, and immediately read that. Immediately. If you ever want to, actually, if you're just a human and want to love other people, go read The Five Love Languages. There's five of them. Quality time, acts of service, serving, words of encouragement, physical touch, and gifts. And every single person has their way, their natural way of receiving love. There's probably two or three up there that you naturally receive love. Do you see yours up there? How many of you know your quality time? You, just, you feel love when someone spends time with you. How about serving? When, you, when someone does an act of service, when, when, you walk in, when they've done something for you without you asking, man, I just feel love. How about who, who feels love by words of encouragement? Yeah. How about, how about um, the physical touch? Like, a good hug. Like, it was, 2020 was hard for us, wasn't it? How about gifts? When someone gives you a surprise gift, you're like, oh, I mean, you feel so loved. Here's the truth, is that you probably have two or three of those, and the person sitting next to you probably doesn't. Amy and I, she has the top two. I have the bottom three. 
Her, her love language is quantity time. I'm sorry, quality time. Quality time. Sorry. <laughs> and service. And mine is encouragement, physical touch, and gifts. And our love languages do not cross paths. But here's the deal. I want my wife to know how much I love her. I want her to know that I love her and, and feel my love like I love you. And so uh, early in our marriage, I'd be like, I just love you so much. You go, thank you. <laughs> no, you don't understand. And I would just wax poetically. Oh, thanks. I would buy her a gift. And she goes, oh, thank you. I'd give her just this big hug and kiss and thank you. And then, and then when we began to study this stuff, listen, the way that I naturally love isn't her love languages. So the way, if I really want her to feel loved by me, I have to adjust some things. The amount of effort it takes for me to love Amy how I naturally love is no effort. I'm always speaking giving, get all that stuff. But guess how hard it is for me to love her in her language? <laughs> and you, if you're sitting next to somebody who you're in a relationship with, you might get this too. So if I truly want Amy to feel loved, I see those pots and pans that are dirty, you know? And you know, those are real easy to walk by and just pretend like you didn't see them. It is so simple to go, oh, whew. If you don't see, if you don't acknowledge it, it didn't actually happen, right? If I want Amy to know how much I love her, I go, And I do it, not out of some obligation or duty. I want her to know I love her. Or, or, or I will, I'll, I'll, I'll just deal with the trash or spend time with her, not on her phone, uh, not on my phone. I'll take the kids to the grocery I'll take, I'll take the kids while she goes to the grocery store or Target alone because she's homeschooling. If she goes to Target with the kids, it's a field trip. Like she gets 30 minutes a day without the kids, so I'll say, I'll take the kids for a while and you go grocery shop. And that right there is an act of service. I didn't know that, but she feels very loved when I do that. So if you ever see her at the store, on her, she's an introvert, soaking up that time, don't talk to her. <laughs> she's, she, she's recharging. <laughs> Quality time, I, I team up with her on projects or I put the kids to bed or doing things. The amount of effort it takes for me to do those things in her language is more than I care to describe sometimes. It's exhausting to think about when I read it, but you know what? It's exhausting if it's motivated out of duty. Well, I ought to go do the pots and pans. How fun is that? But, man, she worked, I, I love her so much. I adore her. And by me just doing five minutes of this, she's gonna know how much I love her. That is a joy for me. That is not, if I'm over here doing something for her because it's a, it's a duty, obligation. Serving, serving out of love, obedience out of love is, is completely different than out of obligation. And you know what? I want, her, I want to love her. And I want her to know it. And she loves me, and guess what? I know it. She works hard to speak my love languages. You see, love goes out of its way to show affection to the beloved's heart and requests. Love goes out of its way to, to show affection to the beloved's requests and heart. And if we love God, then I go out of my way to, 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 to show him out of my love the things that he has requested of me. There's actually rules in our house that mean a lot to Amy that I could, you know, me, not so much. But the rules of the house that matter to her, I keep those personally and in front of the kids out of love. 
And there are rules in God's house and God's kingdom that he's asked us to adhere to. And out of love, we do so, not out of duty. So, so how can you and I begin to see ourselves in this reality over here with God in us, Jesus in us, the spirit in us, where we breathe the, the oxygen of heaven and we are motivated by love for all that he has done. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Say this with me, say this with me. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. That is our Messiah, that's our savior, that's Jesus. Today, seeing the true, the true identity and position of you, that you live in spiritually. Today, may you clearly be seeing, seeing and feeling the environment that God ex, he wants you to experience is love and grace. Today, understand the identity that you have in Jesus. It's not over here where you just accept him in your heart and manage your sin till heaven. Orchard, this is a lie. This is a lie. And let's be done with it. And let's forever remember that on the cross, he did something that changed everything. And that whatever point in your life you came to believe in Jesus as your savior, something happened that was beyond your expectation. And that now you can live and you can obey not out of ought to's and should's and just exhausting rules, but you obey out of love because we love him so much because we have been given so much love. I, I didn't feel led in the first service, but I do feel led in this one because I do think that there are some people in here who see this paradigm over here, but they've never experienced um, Jesus cleaning out. They've never come to Jesus personally. And, and so for, for some of us, it's time to move from, from death to life. And so if you're in here today or watching with us somewhere or listening somewhere else, I want you, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ in your life today, that he would be in you, that you would be in him, in God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, infused by the Spirit, pray this with me. In Orchard, let's all pray together. Father, I know your son died on the cross and rose again. Jesus, I give you my life. Fill my heart and spirit. Hide me in you. God, seal me in your love. And Holy Spirit, fill me with power and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Orchard, as we now go into worship, I wanna just say that worship from this paradigm says, the song better be good. I better like it because I'm worshiping the song. And if I don't like the song, I can't really get into it because it's about me. And I, need to feel, I need to feel something. Now over here, it says, um, whatever the song is, God's good. God's worthy. God's great. I am going to sing to my God out of love because... I can't not. He has done so much for me. He has transformed me. He has changed me. He has healed me. He has freed me from sin and death. And yes, someday I'm going to heaven, but now my life is different forever. And I'm gonna worship from that place. So as you sit there and go, let's take communion. You'll take communion there on your own. And I want you to, I want you to hold the elements of love in your hands and be reminded how much he loved you.
And then after you take those and you, you, you repent of, of the religion of sin management, when worship hits, Orchard, I want us to worship God out of a heart of love. Got me? Let's let heaven hear us today. And let's let our hearts be felt by God above as he feels our love. Amen?